Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs clinched their first playoff berth since the Jermaine Jones era with a 2-0 win over New York City FC on Sunday. The game was deadlocked for the majority of the match until Teal Bunbury scored his first goal since July 18th in the 66th, 66th minute, and Gustavo Bo sealed it with a chip shot in the 89th minute. On the defensive side, Matt Turner turned in a stellar effort for his fifth clean sheet of the season and his 10th of his career. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going? And pretty uh, exciting finish to that game for the Revolution and a, a great way to clinch a sp- playoff spot with a week to spare. Uh, who would have thought the Revolution would be there uh, from what we were seeing back in May and even from what we were seeing you know, earlier this month? Yeah, it, it's been a long season to say the least. A lot of lows, a lot of highs. And, um, you know, we kind of talked last week about how the Revs kind of had been getting results that were good enough. Uh, and they kind of were delaying the inevitable of of uh, pushing into the playoffs. And they came to this week really looking for four points uh, at, at Atlanta next week. That's not really a great fixture where you can expect to get a point. Um, you certainly can't expect to get three points uh, playing in Atlanta. So, um, you know, the Revs came in looking for four points and they forced the draw in Portland. Uh, and then they finished business today with a win at home in their uh, home finale and sent everyone home on the tour train back to Boston all smiles. So, uh, yeah, very exciting for the Revs to finally be back in the playoffs. First time in four years. Uh, Sean, what was your key takeaway from uh, today's game? Really, this week, too, will include the Portland game if you have any uh, takeaways uh, from this past week. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the Revolution kind of doing just enough to, to make the playoffs, and that's kind of what they'd been, been doing for the past month. They hadn't won a game. Um, since August 24th, which you know isn't isn't ideal. So to me, just as important as the Revolution making the playoffs was the Revolution gaining some momentum um, as they head into the playoffs. Because I don't think anyone would be too excited to see the Revolution kind of back end their way into the playoffs, which which almost happened today if they hadn't won this game. Um, you know, kind of back end their way into the playoffs on on a losing streak or a winless streak, and then you know go one and done in the first round. Uh, I think you know the fans wanted to see the Revolution actually put in a good performance and, and show they can do something in the playoffs. And I think that Portland game on Wednesday in which they scored two late goals to, to come away with a draw. And then uh, the game today in which they got a two nothing victory over New York city FC kind of showed the revolution are heading in the right direction and have built some momentum. And, you know, if they can go into Atlanta and get something uh, there, then you, you might actually think they can do something in the playoffs. But, you know, my takeaway from this one kind of goes back to what I'd said in some previous podcasts where the revolution had seemed to become, you know, a little over-reliant on Carles Heel and, and Gustavo Bo, who are obviously the team's two best players. But um, it seemed like when those two guys weren't uh, playing their best, the Revolution were struggling to create scoring chances. And in this game, I actually thought, as good as the Revolution played, that Carles Heel kind of had a little bit of an off game. Um, I didn't think his passing was as crisp as we've seen in some other games. And I didn't think his involvement overall was was as as high as sometimes we've seen it for the Revolution. Uh, so to me, it was it was really good to see the Revolution actually find a way to, to play well and get two goals well, Carlos Hill wasn't necessarily having the best game. Um, Teal Bunbury getting on the score sheet, I think, is, is huge for the Revolution. Uh, he really stepped up. Christian Pania, I thought, had a, had a fantastic game uh, for the most part in this one and was really involved and was taking guys on on the dribble and uh, creating scoring chances. And I think he assisted that Teal Bunbury goal. Um, so a lot of guys really stepped in the, up in this game in a way that I, I thought offensively they had kind of been lacking in the past few games. And uh, you know, it's it's really important that the Revolution find a striker that can kind of get hot going into the playoffs. I think I think if the Revolution are going to have any chance at you know going on a run and getting some upsets on the road, you know, somebody in the number nine role really needs to step up and get hot. We've seen Teal do it in the past and, and get streaky, and uh, he was really good early on in the summer and had a had a nice streak going on. But then I think since July seventeenth, he hadn't scored a goal until this one. So you know, maybe he steps up and that goal today kind of starts a new streak. Uh, but that was, you know, my main takeaway from the game today is really the the surrounding players. Um, Bo obviously had a great game, but the surrounding players kind of picked up their games when when Carly's heel maybe didn't have the the best game he's had this season. Yeah, and one person I want to just quickly note is Christian Pania, who uh, you mentioned. He had three shots, none of them were on target, but he had that really nice move uh, in the first half. That was one of the Revs' better scoring chances. Uh, he was 16 for 18 passing, seven for eight in the attacking third. He created three chances. He had six ball recoveries. He was not dispossessed once, uh, and he had that assist on the bun- on Bunbury's goal. Um, and, and it should be noted, too, that he didn't just get the assist on that play. He started the counterattack, passed it to Bo, made a great run down the right side, kind of worked the ball into the middle and uh, put that ball on the tee for Teal Bunbury, who had that 
uh, great kind of flick on the goal. It was a really nice finish from Teal Bunbury. It's great to see, as you said. Um, so I, I thought Christian Minia had a great game before being subbed off in the 83rd minute. Um, and as you say, Teal Bunbury, his first goal uh, in 10 appearances, first goal since July 18th when he had that, that was the end of his hot streak. Um, I think Teal Bunbury is the guy they're going to be putting up top. So, yeah, I think him getting this goal is good for his confidence and and maybe it's the start of a Teal Bunbury scoring streak, which when the Revs were playing their best soccer this season, that was during Teal Bunbury's hot stretch. So um, I, I think he is a supporting player who certainly can, you know, take the Revs from a team that goes out and gets a lot of draws or puts one goal on the board. Uh, and, and instead they're uh, a team taking all three points and, uh, you know, scoring two or three goals a game. So yeah, I, I agree with you there, Sean. Uh, I actually want to uh, take my, my key takeaway is on the other side of the field, uh, Matt Turner. And um, this might have been his best performance of the season. He had three or four really stellar saves. And I know he's been um, on the team of the week a few times. This is his fifth clean sheet of the season, his 10th of his career. Um, I would be shocked if he doesn't make team of the week uh, this week just because of the gravity of this game and, and how important this game was. Um, and it, it's almost to the point where when Matt Turner makes an amazing save, it doesn't even it doesn't really surprise you that much anymore. Uh, to kind of make a baseball analogy, whenever Jackie Bradley Jr. kind of makes a spectacular catch, you're almost expecting it at this point. Um, Matt Turner had a, a number of amazing saves. That save off of the corner kick was uh, absolutely wonderful. And, um, you know, no disrespect to Brad Knighton, but uh, I, I think, you know, looking at the Portland game and then looking at this game tonight, um, Brad Knighton, I don't think had a poor performance, but you can just see Matt Turner makes a bunch of saves that I don't think a average goalkeeper will make. Uh, he kept the balls out of the net uh, really, really well. And, he, you know, if New York City FC scores first in this game, this game plays out completely differently. I think New York City plays a lot more tighter in the back. I, I don't know if the Revs get on the board because, as you said, um, Gustavo Bo, uh, Carlos Gil, Carlos Gil especially, probably did not have his, his best game of the of the day. So uh, I think Matt Turner keeping this game 0-0 for as long as he did uh, really is going to be a um, afterthought for the most part. But uh, as I say, I thought this was one of his best performances of the season, and uh, he did a great job. Yeah, I agree with that. And the level that Matt Turner's been playing at, and you saw it again in this game, if he were to, to keep that up, or if he were to have played every game this season, um, I think you'd have a very, very strong case for him to be goalkeeper of the year. Um, really, only only Bill Hamid and Steve Clark, I think, have been in the, the same category of, of him as far as, as play goes. Um, but, you know, Bill Hamid, I think, playing as many games as he had, and, and Steve Clark even playing more games than Matt Turner, probably give them an edge. Um, but Matt Turner's just been been phenomenal this year. We can, you know, talk about why he didn't play Wednesday. Um, but, I, you know, the, my one complaint in him this game is I don't think his distribution was as great as we've seen at times, but... You know, you can't really complain when he's making the level of saves he, he made in this one. And, um, you know, there were a few times where the defense really left him hung out to dry. And if he hadn't come up with big saves, the Revolution would have been in trouble. And, you know, sometimes the shots weren't the best at him, but his positioning put him in a place where, um, you know, he was able to make those saves and, and throw guys off their game and, and stop some some pretty promising attacks from, from New York City FC. Um, because it certainly wasn't a flawless defensive performance in the Revolution tonight, even though they got the shutout. No, not, not at all. Uh, another thing, too, I want to talk about in this game, Maybe the play of the game, uh, and it kind of was the nail in the coffin uh, for Chicago's playoff chances, was Gustavo Bo's chip shot uh, towards the end of the game. Um, Gustavo Bo had a little bit of space, and Bruce Arena at halftime talked about how Sean Johnson was kind of creeping off of his line, uh, and he was he was playing a little bit too aggressively at a net, and they were hoping to uh, you know maybe uh, take advantage of that. And Gustavo Bo late in the second half certainly did. Uh, had a bit of space, had a beautiful chip shot over Sean Johnson. Sean had never had a chance. Uh, so, Sean, uh, what was your thoughts on uh, Gustavo Bo's goal? Uh, do you think that's the goal of the year from him, or do you still give it to, to the corner kick uh, volley that he had in his debut? Yeah, I mean, that's a tough one. I think I, I might still give the edge to the corner kick volley, but he's been just playing fantastic, and his play in today's game was was great. He's been so huge for the Revolution with that, you know, the goal on Wednesday that gave him a chance in that game that they wanted to tie, and then the, the game here, that the goal here that clinched it. Um, and he was, you know, he helped set up the, the first goal of the game, too, he was instrumental on in that goal. Um, so, you know, <laughs> a fantastic signing by Bruce Arena. Um, you know, the, we, you, can, you can complain about the Revolution not making enough signings over the summer. I certainly think they should have gone out and, and added to defense, but Bo has just been a phenomenal signing for the Revolution and has been absolutely huge for the team, um, not just on that play, but, you know, throughout this game and throughout the season uh, coming in. But that was just a fantastic strike. 
Uh, I you know couldn't believe he was trying it, and then I couldn't believe he pulled it off as as well as he did, um, because we we haven't seen that type of shot from him really. We've seen a lot of more you know powerful shots and maybe less of the finesse shots and that that, that you saw here, but. Um, I don't think you can say enough good things about Gustavo Bo's performance. And I also think you need to give some credit to, to Wilfred Zahibo, who I thought actually had a really good game both on both ends of the pitch in this one. And you know, he did well, uh, kind of leading, in part leading that counterattack that led to, to Bo's chance running up the field. He was kind of the furthest guy forward on that play. Um, wasn't the most difficult pass he had to make to Gustavo Bo, but just being in that position and you know, that late in the game, making that run. Um, was was pretty impressive to me. I thought he would, had one of his better games of the season as well. Yeah, Wilfred Zahibo assisting Stavabo for, I believe, the first time this season. Uh, and I will call that the Zahibo connection. Uh, Stavabo, by the way, <laughs> doing that just for Jake. <laughs> I sent a tweet out and he didn't reply, so I got to say it here just so you make sure he, he hears it. Uh, Gustavo Bo now has nine goals in 13 games with the Revolution. He has not had two consecutive appearances where he has not scored for the Revs. Um, and if you, looking at his um, game log here, he only has one game uh, for the Revolution where he's played 90 minutes and he has not scored. And that was the 2 nothing loss against LAFC. So um, when he gets a full 90 minutes, he's very effective. Um, and today, you know, normally he's putting five, six, seven shots on, uh, maybe not on target, but he's, he's taking five or six or seven shots. Um, today he only had two shots uh, and one was on target, which which was the goal that sealed it. So um, even by his standards, he had a bit of a quiet game. Uh, New York City FC did a really good job uh, containing him, but uh, still found you know, that space uh, towards the end of the game and still found a way to um, put his name on the score sheet. So um, another great goal from Gustavo. And I think it was very fitting that, uh, you know, he certainly has been um, uh, maybe the best midseason acquisition in the league. Um, I'm my, I'm sure someone will correct me on that, but I can't think of anyone who's had a more profound impact than uh, what Gustavo Bo has had in, in, in helping turn this team around. And it's a bit fitting that uh, he gets the shot that sends the Revs into the playoffs. So uh, really, really fitting. Um, Sean, one other thing we want to go into into this game, and we typically talk about the substitutions. Uh, there, there really isn't a whole lot of story behind the subs. Uh, the, the Revs kind of made a few subs late when they were trying to see out the game. And the, the first sub uh, was Michael Mancien coming on, uh, I believe it was for Gustavo Bo. Um, or no, sorry, it was for Michael Mancien came on for Christian Pena. Uh, Gustavo Bo left later on after his goal for Scott Caldwell. But uh, Sean, you had some thoughts about the Michael Mancien sub? Yeah, we, we've seen it a couple times now from Bruce Arena, and I'm just not a huge fan. And I think you even saw it in this game. Um, you know, you're kind of adding a, a third center back onto the field, um, or really a fourth center back if you consider, you know, Julian Baba's out there. Um, and, you know, I've, we've seen other teams do it. I just, I just don't like it. I think Mancien isn't good enough, uh, generally. And then I thought in, in this game, um, after you brought him on, you still saw a runner kind of sneak through the, the three center backs and get in alone on goal. Um, so if you're, you're making the sub and runners are still sneaking through on goal um, and that way you're on the center of the pitch, I don't, I don't understand what the point is. Um, I, you know, I get what Bruce Arena is thinking, uh, but it just doesn't seem like Mancian is the right guy to bring in there. And I'm not sure you know, whether they practice this enough and whether there's enough coordination. But uh, to kind of throw off your defense like that, um, in, in a game like this, I don't really understand it. Uh, Scott Caldwell came on in the 90th minute. You know, if I if I would have liked to have seen Scott Caldwell come on in the 83rd minute, if you're going to play it this way, and then maybe Mancien come on the 90th when you're two two nothing up, and you want to get Bo off there and kind of add an extra body back there when you know New York City is probably going to launch some long balls forward late in the game. Um, but I don't understand why Mancien would come on in that situation over Scott Caldwell. And, you know, I talked about it before, um, but particularly coming off of Wednesday's game where I thought Scott Caldwell had one of his best performances of the season. Uh, it just, I just don't really understand that sub and Bruce Arena's done it twice now. And uh, it seems like one of those subs when you have a one, one goal lead, it could come back to bite you because, you know, Mancien and is not always the, the quickest guy on his feet. Um, so I, I just don't really get it. Yeah. And it seems like they, I don't want to say they parked the bus because they scored after the Mancien sub, but uh, they certainly are going for size in the back and not allowing anyone through. And they still seem to have some vulnerabilities um, to be fair to Bruce Arena. There really isn't a lot of defensive players on the bench available. There was Mancien, there was Scott Caldwell. And then after that, there was Caicedo too, Juan Agadello, Dewan Jones and, and Diego Fagundes. Um, I, I think the way you could have played it, um, is Dewan Jones could have gone in at left back. I know he's not amazing, but you could pinch in Annie Baba and just have your three center back set of Farrell, De La May, and Annie Baba. I think those are your 
most reliable center backs overall. Um, and I think you still have a little bit of speed in Dewan Jones, where if you want to counterattack, he can get up. He has fresh legs. He can blow by some people. Um, and if they do concede a goal, Dewan Jones can then function as an attacker uh, and take the place of Christian Pena. So, um, yeah, the, I don't know if there's a correct way to handle it. But, yeah, Bruce Arena seems to want to uh, secure that one nothing win and uh, keep a zero on the board. And, um, you know, Michael Manzian, I, I on the bench. I, I think that's what it all comes down to. W- would you be opposed to this strategy if maybe there was a more reliable defender on the bench? If it, if it was someone that was a bit more agile than Mancien, and you know, I, I wouldn't be as opposed to it. But I, I still don't love the idea, and you know, other teams do do it of bringing on a third center back, particularly when it's not something. You know, the Revolution don't really play um, a five man back line or a three man back line with you know more wing backs. Very frequently, it's not something they've experimented with a lot. If it's something that they'd kind of played on the road a lot more and had more familiarity with it, I could get it. But just kind of bringing that on as something that you haven't really played with and trying to use that to hold the lead, I don't, I don't love it. I do like your idea of Dewan Jones, you know, more so coming out out there at that point, you know, because it, it did seem to me like they were almost playing with a, you know, three center backs at times with uh, Annie Baba kind of pinching in a bit more and Farrell kind of moving out wide to, to cover for Brandon Bay who wasn't playing much defense. Uh, it, it was almost a, a three-man back then at that point. So if you were going to go out there and, and you know pinch any Bobby even more and then have Jones out there, it was more of a, a left wing back, uh, that would make a bit more sense to me. But I, I just don't like it, especially with, with Mancian and, and what we've seen from him. It should be so, – uh, while we're on this topic too uh, of Jaleel Anibaba, the last time we spoke, Jaleel Anibaba was a center back and he's had two consecutive starts at left back. You just mentioned how he's kind of been playing. It's almost a left back, center back kind of hybrid uh, type formation depending on where the ball is, where Brandon Bay is, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you've had two games to uh, watch Julian Anibaba playing this left back role. Uh, what are your uh, first thoughts about uh, Anibaba out at left back? And do you think that this is the left back going into uh, the playoffs? You know, I, I like it when you're playing a team that's superior to you. And I think the revolution in the past couple games have been playing a team that's superior to them. Maybe with New York City missing a few guys, that's not the case. Um, but, you know, Andy Baba is very sound defensively. He's not going to offer you much going forward. Um, would, we've talked before about how frequently Brandon Baia gets caught up and pushes forward and, you know, doesn't track back as much or sometimes, you know, it's just too far forward to track back. Um, and, you know, when you play this way, it allows Andy Baba to kind of pinch in and the revolution to, to you know, kind of play a hybrid three-man back line at times and, and defend there. I think that makes more sense than having both Bai and Jones out there with both of them kind of pushing forward and both of them uh, kind of leaving their wings exposed. Um, so to me, this makes sense, especially when you're, you know, in a game where you're probably the underdog. Um, if the revolution, you know, we're going into a game against Cincinnati at home where they're the favorite, I don't think I would like this idea as much and, you know, really seem to be a bit more ambitious, but... Um, I, you know, I think this makes sense, and I do think, uh, you know, if the Revolution go, I, I don't know what the Revolution are going to do against Atlanta, how they're going to play that game, but I do think if the Revolution go into the playoffs, um, and you know, they will go into the playoffs and go into the road against a superior team, it makes sense to have Annie Baba as a left back, especially if, if Edgar Castillo isn't healthy uh, for that game, and even if he is, if he hasn't played very much recently, then it still might make sense to have Julian Annie Baba as your left back. Yeah, and if Edgar Castillo comes back, I don't know if he is going to be your starter because, as you said, um, every game for the Revs is going to be on the road in the playoffs, uh, and Julian Annie Baba is a solid defensive option. So it's a bit interesting to see this kind of experiment this late in the year. I'm sure they're going to play him there against Atlanta, uh, but I don't think DeWan Jones at left back is a great option going into the playoffs and having to go face Atlanta uh, or Philadelphia or New York City FC on the road. Um, so I'm a little encouraged with how he's played. Um, I, I mean, it's very interesting, and uh, I don't know. I I certainly wouldn't have thought of it. I think it's a bit creative uh, of, of Bruce Arena to work with what he's got, but um, I think you know, you and I, Sean, kind of talked about how Dwan Jones and Edgar Castillo, I don't think, are going to get the jobs done uh, at, at at left back defensively. They do add a little bit to the offensive side of the game, which Lenny Baba really does not do. Uh, but defensively, I, I think having that third center back left back there uh, is a big help. And, um, you know, Portland, they conceded twice today. I think it came in a, a really big help. So. No, honest, honestly, if if this is the you know long term, I don't think it's the way for the revolution to go. I don't oh, think no, no, next year you'd no. want to see him doing this. But just given where the revolution are now and going into the playoffs, uh, I think it just makes sense to to run with that. You know, defensively, that is their best option. Um, but to be clear, I think next year they need two new fullbacks. If Mustang or Farrell is going to move back to right back, absolutely. And and another thing too is that 
you know, I, I think Julie Lambaba works at left back, but if you fall behind, you know, two, one or one, nothing, you need a goal. I think you are going to want your Edgar Castillo or Dewan Jones back at left back. If anything, I was really surprised. Um, we did not see Julie Lambaba come out in that Portland game. Uh, so I, I I don't know. I think you wanted to shift back to more of an attacking option left back. Uh, but for the games that are going to come up for the rest of the season, uh, I think Jaleel Anibaba at left back is a conservative option, but I think it's a bit of a smart one. So, uh, Sean, I, I do want to we, we won't get into the Portland game too, too much. It was a bit of a crazy game for those of you that stayed up to watch it. The Revs pulled out a point with two late goals. Um, I think someone asked me about it and I looked it up. Uh, it's the first game, the first road game where the Revs have come back from two down to take a point since 2012. Uh, so it was a bit unlikely for them to even get that one point, but uh, sealed a 2-2 draw, took away a, a crucial one point uh, that came to this game and obviously helped them clinch a playoff spot. Um, we won't go into the whole game, but I do want to talk about Bruce Arena playing kind of the B team. There were seven subs, um, <laughs> seven subs for the Revs in this game, uh, including Matt Turner being benched for Brad Knighton. Uh, you know, long, long cross-country flight, uh, you know, short rest, midweek game. Um, so I certainly understand why they rested them. They seem to put all their eggs in the basket for the NYCFC game, and they wanted to secure three points. But, Sean, a lot of people had issue not playing your starters in this game. Uh, what were your thoughts on starting your backups in a really critical game? Well, it was kind of weird to me because they made some some subs that you know clearly weakened the team, but then they also left in you know Carles Gill and put uh, Gustavo Bo, who had been you know missed the first half of the previous game with an injury. So both of them started. So it wasn't like they were. It didn't seem like they were throwing the game away. Um, but I you know I didn't understand completely all of the substitutions they made, and in particular the one I didn't get is the the change at goalkeeper because uh, yes, if you you know. Louis, Louis Caicedo and Wilfred Zahibo are guys that cover a lot of ground in midfield. They, you know, they need a, a sub, certainly. I understand rotation in a game like this, and you, know, you can't play every minute of every game, but a goalkeeper can play every minute of every game, and uh, there's several goalkeepers in the league that have played every minute of every game, including guys like Brad Guzon, who are you know, 35 years old, and I think Evan Bush, who's up there in 33, and uh, you know, several, several goalkeepers in their mid-30s have played every minute of every game, so Matt Turner can certainly do, do that, especially given that um, you know, he hasn't been the starter all season long either. Uh, so that was the one that, that really surprised me. You go into a game like that, uh, and you, you know, Brad Knighton's obviously a veteran. He can step up, and I don't think he's going to be intimidated by going into a tough crowd. Um, but I feel like you want the continuity in goalkeeper uh, with Matt Turner. And we've talked about how good he was in this game and how good he's been all season long. Um, I don't think that's, you know, what cost the Revolution a win in this game necessarily. Um, but that was really surprising to me that, you know, Matt Turner, of all people, didn't sub in. I kind of get the other changes. I get the Annie Baba change, and that turned out to be a, a change that, um, you know, playing him at left back turned out to be something that they you know, look like they're going to do the rest of the way this season, given that they did it against New York City FC in this game, um, and, you know, get rotation otherwise. But, you know, you don't need to, to rest a 25-year-old goalkeeper, um, especially when the Revolution were using one of their charters on this on this trip to to go out there. I, that, that's the one that I just don't get. And it was good to see some guys get a full 90 minutes and, and you know, uh, get some minutes to kind of shake some rust off before going into the playoffs. So I, I can kind of argue from that standpoint that maybe this was critical for Scott Caldwell and Diego Fagundes and Juan Agadello to kind of audition for kind of, you know, more critical minutes in the playoffs. Um, but with that being said, it seemed like they were almost experimenting. They, they came out with a 4-3-3. They start with Julian Bob at left back. Brad Knighton starts for the first time. Really under Bruce Arena, I, I, I think uh, out, out, he, maybe Knighton started in U.S. Open Cup, but I can't remember the last time we saw Brad Knighton start a game um, because Cody Cropper was starting uh, in the final Friedel days, and then they went right back to Turner. So um, I, I didn't fact check when the last time we saw Brad Knighton start a game was, but maybe they just wanted to get him some reps. Uh, I'm not really sure what the logic was. And, you know, three games left in the regular season, and you need four points. I, I, I was pretty shocked at this lineup. Um, now hindsight's 2020 20 and it worked out, but, um, I, I think they kind of got away with one in starting this lineup and, uh, I don't know, play, playing a little sloppy out in Portland. So, uh, but their unbeaten streak on the West coast remains alive. Uh, and I, I will say too, another great positive was that Scott Caldwell, I thought had a fantastic game, Sean. I don't have the tweet in front of me, but you tweeted out some stats about Scott Caldwell, about his passing accuracy, which was in the mid-90s. Uh, I believe he was second on the team in touches. Um, he did very, very well for a guy that was playing kind of a center mid role. Uh, played well 
both on offense and defense uh, held position. I, I th- don't think he was dispossessed. Uh, I think he was only dispossessed once in this game. Uh, so Scott Caldwell was a, a really big, uh, had a really big influence on this game. And I think for a guy that we have not seen play much under Bruce Arena, I think this was a very positive uh, uh, experience for him because uh, I, I think it will get his confidence back up and I think kind of showed what he can do to uh, Bruce Arena. It might have changed his mind. So Yeah, and then that's kind of why I thought we might see him sooner in this game if the Revolution were trying to hold a lead um, rather than the 90th minute. But, it, you know, that was one of the, my biggest positives I take away from that game was that Caldwell performed really well and he hadn't playing much at all under, under Bruce Arena. Um, and he certainly showed in that game, at least to me, that he can still contribute to this team, um, you know, in his current state and with, with Bruce Arena as the coach. Uh, so I don't, I don't know if we're going to see more of him next week, but it was a little bit surprising to me that given how well he played in that game, that he wasn't the first sub off the bench when they're trying to hold on to a lead in a, a tough game. Yep, and we'll hop over to some listener questions now. I haven't really gone through these at all, so they might be a little un- unorganized today, but um, we'll, we'll go through these as I'm reading them. Uh, so no, no prep from us, but uh, Mike Kennedy asked us, was today's starting lineup the best starting 11 uh, with Teal and Bo up top, or do you go with Juan Fernando Caicedo uh, in the playoffs uh, in New York City, wherever whatever road game you want to pick. Uh, Sean, was today's uh, lineup the best lineup that the Revolution have? I mean, I think so. I think you have to keep playing Teal Bunbury. I thought Teal Bunbury had a really good game. Um, so uh, the one thing I will say is it doesn't look like the Revolution are going to be playing New York City FC in the playoffs unless they perhaps get to, I think it would be the, the conference final at this point, right, where they would actually end up meeting them. Um, so if the Revolution were to get to the conference final against New York City FC um, and, and play on the road again in Yankee Stadium, where, where that would be, um, in that case, then maybe you play Juan Caicedo. I think Juan Caicedo, and we, we talked about this before, is, is well-suited um, to kind of pick up the scraps in a small stadium like New York City FC on that tiny pitch and, and finish off goals. Um, so you know, maybe if you get to that game and Teal Bunbury is not in a hot streak, you switch it up and, and put Juan Caicedo, but that's a, a long way away. And otherwise, I think Bunbury is the, the guy to go to um, unless he goes into Atlanta and, and plays terribly. Um, you know, I think you have to ride the ride Bunbury through the playoffs. Um, and again, that's a position that I think the Revolution need to look at and consider bringing somebody else in in the offseason to, to be the regular starter. But at this point, I think this is the Revolution's best lineup uh, given the players that they have on the team and, and given the form of the guys on the on the team right now. And I think in a road game scenario, you want your more, I don't want to say conservative option, but Teal Bunbury presses better than Juan Fernando Caicedo. I think he adds more um I mean, Juan Fernando Caicedo was probably the better finisher and the better shooter, uh, but I think every other aspect, I think Teal Bunbury has a leg up on him. So I, I think Teal Bunbury is the type of player that you want to start on the road uh, in a game where you're going to be playing, you want to play uh, kind of tight defense and a tight press. Well, and there was that play late in the game today where he ran back and, and tracked a runner on a, a second chance for New York City FC and was you know, kind of making the, the far post run to, to track a guy defensively. Um, and that's after playing 90 minutes up top. So when you see stuff like that from, from Teal Bunbury, you know, even when he's not scoring, he provides a, a lot to the team. Uh, so you know, when he scores a, a goal in a game like this, you think that gives him more confidence and maybe he can you know, score in the next game. But, but either way, he just provides um, so much to the team other than scoring. Uh, where Juan Caicedo, like you said, is, is probably the better finisher. I, I would say definitely is the better finisher, um, but doesn't add as much other than that. Uh, to the team. So I think, you know, again, when you're talking about playing conservatively on the road, you know, Bunbury makes more sense to me. Although I do, uh, you know, kind of get the where you're coming from if you're talking about playing at New York City FC. It just doesn't seem like the, the Revolution are going to be playing them anytime soon, at least not until the, the conference final. Um, we have a, a number of questions that are all kind of in the same vein. So I'm just going to read them all off. But on, on Discord, uh, Goat Caicedo asks us, do the Revs seriously have a shot at going all the way? We have talent and can hang with the best of the best. Uh, Zach Grimes on Twitter also says anything is possible, right? Deep playoff run. Uh, and then Mike Kennedy says, can they do this again in New York City? Uh, so um, a lot of questions of how far can this Revs team go? Can they make it all the way? Um, uh, you know, they are a little behind the eight ball here as the seventh seed. Um, I'll just run through the uh, playoff structure because uh, you kind of mentioned it. I'll, I'll go through it right now. But as a seventh seed, they're going to play the two seed in the first round. Uh, and then they would play the winner of the three slash six seed. And then they would play the winner of the one slash four slash five seed. So whoever comes out of that uh, top part of the bracket, they'll play in the uh, conference finals before going to MLS Cup. So um, all of which would be road games as the lowest seed in the Eastern Conference. So, um, Sean, do you think it's possible for the refs to make it out of the East and go to MLS Cup with this team? Hey, you know, if uh, if San Jose makes it to the MLS Cup, there's a chance the Revolution could host it. So, 
<laughs> I stand corrected. I mean, right, actually, right now, San Jose has the tiebreaker, but there's still time. Uh, but so, if if you're looking at kind of the, you know, first of all, I don't think there's a chance that any MLS team is going to win four road games to win MLS Cup. I think that's a kind of a one in a hundred years type occurrence for that to happen in the current playoff structure. Um, it's designed to reward the higher seeds, and I think it does. So um, that I don't think is going to happen. But if you look at the kind of the the dream scenario for the Revolution, let's say. And I don't think this is completely impossible, but let's say the Revolution win next week, Toronto loses, um, the Revolution kind of beat up Atlanta FC, um, and then the Revolution, you know, because of how things play out, they, they jump into the sixth seed, um, they go ahead and beat Philadelphia, and then somehow Toronto, who is, you know, a very talented team, goes into Atlanta and beats Atlanta. The Revolution could actually host in the second leg, in the second round of the, of the playoffs. It's, it's unlikely, but it's not completely impossible um, if, you know, things play out the way they, they could next week, and if the Revolution were to go into Atlanta and get a win and Toronto were to, to lose uh, against Columbus. So that, there's that slight possibility. And if that were to happen and the Revolution were to advance then and then they played New York City in the conference final, um, you know, then maybe they could make the MLS Cup. But realistically, I, I don't think the Revolution have a chance at winning MLS Cup as a seventh seed. I think this season has shown you there's a lot of potential on this roster. Um, and with a few more additions that next year they could, you know, compete for a, a top seed where they actually get a home game in the first round and then actually could compete for MLS Cup. Uh, but, you know, Brad Friedel just dug this team into too big of a hole. Uh, where the Revolution were, you know, for the most part, fighting for the seventh seed in the playoffs. And, you know, I just don't think in this current playoff structure, realistically, a team can go out and win, you know, four road games and, and win MLS Cup at, the, at this point. It just doesn't seem likely to me. Uh, yes, there's a lot of parity in MLS. Yes, the Revolution have been better on the road lately than they have been in the past. But, you know, asking a team to win four straight road games is an impossible ask in my mind. Well, and, and so this is going to mix in with another question, but Jared Michaud on uh, Discord asked us, what's the perfect road to MLS Cup? And I, I think he kind of hit uh, something that I didn't even think about, that if the Revs can somehow eke into that sixth seed next week, uh, they potentially could host Toronto FC at home, which I think is a very, very winnable game. Um, now, Toronto could still, if, they, if Toronto is still the sixth seed uh, and they beat, say, Toronto, or if they, they beat Philadelphia on the road, which I, I don't see happening, um, you know, New England would be going up to Toronto. So um, in theory, I, I guess there are, you know, if you believe in upsets that could happen, um, you know, I guess the perfect road for the Revs would still be to go at, uh, to win at Atlanta or Philadelphia, then at, win at Toronto, and then hope that the Red Bulls or DC United can upset uh, New York City FC in the conference semifinals um, and then go to that stadium uh, in the conference finals, go to either uh, Washington or, or to Red Bull Arena. But even still, that's a very, very tough ask. Those are three teams that, I mean, I would say at best, those are 50-50 games. I don't think the Revs are a vastly superior team to any of those three where I, I, I don't want to say I like their chances on the road, but they'll be very hard-fought battles. So even in the case where the Revolution you know, play the six and then the five or the seven seed in the second and third rounds, um, there isn't an easy path here for the Revolution because of that uh, uh, home field advantage they're not going to benefit from. So, yeah, next week against Atlanta will have some significance. Hopefully they can kind of sneak in past Toronto. Uh, you actually kind of called this out, too, in the middle of the game where you were actually rooting for Chicago. Uh, when the Revs took the lead, you were rooting for Chicago, so uh, the Revs would have a better chance at uh, that sixth seed. But, um, yeah, probably unlikely. But, yeah, best-case scenario is they do sneak into that sixth seed and somehow are able to get Toronto FC at home uh, in the conference semifinals. But still, um, we have another question here, too. How uh, and, and I'll let you talk about this, too. This kind of is what I just talked about. But um, how is our road realistically going to play out? Uh, and they mean road to MLS Cup. This is from Cambo on Discord. Um, I, I think I kind of just set it up nicely there, Sean. Uh, do you agree? I mean, three road games is, is a really, really tough ask for this Revolution team. Yeah, I mean, and I actually think that despite how good New York City FC has been, that the Revolution actually matched up pretty well against them and, and perhaps better against them than they do against Philadelphia. Um, so if they did somehow get two upsets in the road, which I, I don't think is going to happen, um, you know, that's a game that the Revolution could go into and, and have a little bit of confidence that they, you know, they, they played really well at New York City FC uh, under Arena. They beat them tonight. Um, you know, they, sh they sh probably should have beat New York City, City FC if not for that red card that got overturned um, in the last game. So, you know, that's not a team that I think intimidates the Revolution. I don't think Yankee Stadium is a place that necessarily intimidates the Revolution. But to get there, you're probably going to have to beat Philadelphia and you're probably going to have to beat Atlanta um, in, in one order or another. 
Um, and, you know, yes, Atlanta without Joseph Martinez is not as good of a team. And, you know, perhaps there's some vulnerability there. Um, but, you know, Philadelphia is a good team despite the fact that they lost today. Um, you know, and part of that is, you know, you could blame part of that in a long weather delay that probably didn't help them. But, um, yeah, you look at the Revolution's path and hypothetically if they have to go at Atlanta, at Philadelphia, at New York City FC, and then perhaps at LAFC. Um, you know, I, I don't see them, you know, they, I could see them pulling off an upset in the first round. Uh, but barring that kind of dream scenario I discussed where the Revolution actually sneaked into the sixth seed and then somehow ended up playing um, Toronto because there's no reseeding in this playoff. So if they somehow ended up playing Toronto at home in the, in the next round, it's hard for me to see them um, going out and pulling off two upsets against two superior teams in Atlanta and Philadelphia. We actually got the question to Boyd 213 on Discord says, who do you think the Revs have a better chance against in the first round, Atlanta or Philadelphia? Assume Atlanta has Joseph Martinez. Uh, Sean, who in that case, if with Joseph Martinez healthy and playing, uh, who would you rather face in the first round? With Joseph Martinez healthy and playing, I would definitely, as the Revolution, rather play uh, against Philadelphia. If Joseph Martinez is out, I think that, that changes things dramatically. But um, Atlanta, again, has not been as good this year as they were last year. The coaching change impacted them, but they've, you know, they came on strong towards the end of the season. Um, and they've been, you know, you know, still the second best team in the Eastern Conference. And playing in Atlanta with the their huge fan support and how many people fill up that stadium, um, that's an extremely difficult place to play for the Revolution. Um, you know, not that Philadelphia isn't either, but if, if I was the Revolution and I was looking at Philadelphia and Atlanta and Atlanta had a healthy Joseph Martinez, there, there's no question in my mind I'd, I'd rather go into Philadelphia and play them, um, which, again, isn't to say that that's an easy matchup because Philadelphia has been, been very good this year, too. Yeah, I think Joseph Martinez is a game changer in terms of who you want to face. And I will say, too, a, a lot of people are saying, you know, even without Joseph Martinez, you don't want to face him. Um, I mean, it. it probably the revolution's road is going to go through both these cities. It's probably going to go through Atlanta and Philadelphia. So in my mind, you would want to face Atlanta as soon as possible to have Joseph Martinez have as little impact in the game. Cause he might not be 90 minutes fit for that first or yeah, for the first round game, he might be 90 minutes fit for that second round game. I mean, I know they're a few days apart, but um, you know, I, I would imagine that you would want to play Atlanta as soon as possible with Joseph Martinez um, as rusty as possible. Um, now, he might be fully fit. He might be 90 minutes fit uh, a few weeks from now when the playoffs start. At this point, it's a bit of a moot point. But um, I think both of those games are going to be extremely difficult for the Revolution. And I think a lot of people are sleeping on Philadelphia. We talked about this last week, too. Philadelphia has played the best teams in MLS really tough. Uh, they are a very, very strong team. I think a lot of people look at the MLS Cup champions from last year uh, playing in that hostile environment with Joseph Martinez and that all, all those all-stars down there in Atlanta. They don't want any part of it. Uh, and I think people still kind of think of Philadelphia as this kind of mid-market team uh, that, you know, they're used to seeing Philadelphia as a five or a six seed. But, um, I, I, you know, Philadelphia being in the run for the two seed is not a fluke whatsoever. I think they're a really, really tough team. And uh, as I say, I think the Revs have to go through both of them. So who do you want to face in the first round is a bit of a moot point. Um, I think actually the answer is you want to face the team that there's a less of a chance of TFC upsetting because either way you're rooting for TFC in the first round. Um, You're hoping for Toronto FC to take down uh, Atlanta or Philadelphia. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's there's no right answer in this question. I, think. I mean, the Revolution going to either of those matches as, as certainly underdogs, even with Joseph Martinez out. So it, it, yeah. none of those matches are going to be uh, favorable for the Revolution. It's just a matter of kind of pick your poison. I would say if, if Joseph Martinez is fully fit, I think you want to go to Philadelphia and you got to hope that TFC pulls an upset in Atlanta. I think that's the, the correct answer to that question. Uh, but... Who am I rooting for next weekend that the the Revs end up with? I mean, it's it's a real pick your poison scenario. I don't think there's a correct um, correct answer for that game. So, uh, Revolution Report on Twitter asks us who's the most important player for the Revs making the playoffs uh, this year. Like, who was the who was the most important in getting them to the playoffs? Is that the yes. Name? I mean, I guess it's one of two guys: Gustavo Boer or Carlos Heel. I would say. Um, you know, Heal was the one all season helping out the team, but Bo was the guy that really scored the goals that, that pushed them into the playoffs. I think if, if push comes to shove, I'd probably go with Gustavo Bo just because he scored so many big goals down the stretch um, when the Revolution needed him. Um, it's, you know, it's hard to look past Carly's heel because he was doing it all season, but 
uh, Bo was just you know huge for the revolution and finding goals when when nobody else was um, down the stretch and, and getting them there. So that would be me my answer with the kind of the the dark horse probably being Louis Caicedo, who I thought had a phenomenal all around year and doesn't get the credit he deserves sometimes. And Matt Turner can't miss Matt Turner either. Good point. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we had the uh, the team awards were were today and uh, Carlos Hill was the team MVP. Andrew Farrell was the defender of the year, which we kind of talked about. Uh, I wish we got to see MVP kind of like the voting. The players also voted. I, I kind of wish we could see the breakdown because I, I do think Matt Turner has a decent case for most valuable player on the Revs. Uh, I, I Carlos Hill had a, an amazing season and, and should have been an All Star. So I, I don't think I'm I'm not complaining. Uh, that he won MVP, but uh, I think Matt Turner also deserves a bit of a nod and a lot more credit than I think people are, are giving him. But uh, no, I, I think the answer to the question on who the most important player is, is I would say Gustavo Bo, because I think he elevated his team uh, and, and took them to another level, uh, gave them a bit of a scoring option. He came in very, very big with some late goals. We saw it uh, in Portland. We saw it uh, in the game against Chicago, uh, where Gustavo Bo had some rockets that kind of found their way to the back of the net. Uh, so I, I think he added a another attacker to this team that allowed Carly's heel to kind of drop back and be more effective uh, in the midfield uh, as opposed to at the beginning of the season when Carly's heel was literally doing everything on his own. So I, I would say that the most important player for the Rose making the, uh, the playoffs was uh, Gustavo Bo. Uh, on that note, too, little Wolf on Discord asks us, is Bo the best signing ever or is it Carly's heel? Uh, Sean, uh, is it too early to name one of these guys as the best signing ever in Revolution history? Or, I mean, they're both probably the two most talented players ever in, in Revolution history. Uh, Jermaine Jones comes to mind, but, um, I mean, these guys are at the top of the list, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, Jermaine Jones took this team to an MLS Cup. Um, these guys haven't done it yet. So I think it's too soon to, to say that they're the best signing in MLS history. Um, or best signing in Revolution history. If I was to kind of pick between the two of them, you know, you look at Carly's heel and his age, and that you hope that the Revolution can keep him around a lot longer. I think he's 26, and then Gustavo Bo is 29. Um, so Gustavo Bo probably doesn't have as many years left uh, at the top level as Carly's heel does. So if the Revolution can keep Carly's heel for several seasons and into his prime, he could very well turn out to be the Revolution's best signing ever. Um, and you know, I would give the nod to him over Bo, just given age and the the possibility of him playing for a really long time. Um, but you know, otherwise, uh, until these guys lead the Revolution to an MLS Cup, or until these guys, um, you know, lead the Revolution over multiple seasons to deep playoff runs, it's hard for me to to kind of look at Revolution signings. And when I think of signings, I think of you know, guys the Revolution went out and got internationally, not guys the Revolution, you know, drafted, not guys like Taylor Twelman or Shaw Joseph. Uh, I think those kind of fall into a different Matt category. Or, or Matt Turner, um, who was, well, he's kind of a signing because he was undrafted. He was I guess. a signing. Yeah, yeah. He was a, but, yeah, undrafted. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, to, to me, I think it's too soon to put him over Jermaine Jones while recognizing, um, you know, more probably than not in the future, uh, they'll move past him. Uh, in my opinion, I actually disagree with you. I think Gustavo Bo and Carlos Heel are the best signings for the Revolution ever, and I think Jermaine Jones was the best blind draw in Revolution history. Uh, talking, <laughs> <laughs> uh, flow on Discord asks us: Is Carlos Heel playing that right mid, right wing area uh, position? Uh, is that a good idea, or do we need to find another solution for next season? Uh, Sean, is that a permanent solution for Carlos Heel kind of playing on the right? You actually suggested that a little bit earlier in the season uh, that you, you kind of wanted to see how he could do on that right side, and it seems to be maybe i don't know if i want to call it his best position but he's been very very effective there lately um what are your thoughts on carly seal and, and where he should play yeah honestly when early on in the season when we were seeing him play I, I thought that when he drifted to the right is where he looked his most effective um and it seems like bruce arena has recognized that i think he's been uh, very effective on the right I, again i didn't think last last night or tonight rather against new york city fc was the the best performance we've ever seen out of him um but i do think that he's a guy that for whatever reason looks like he is more comfortable operating on the right. He looks better crossing the ball there. He looks better cutting inside there. Um, it just seems like that's where his best play comes from. When you have a guy like Gustavo Bo who can kind of roam all over the place, it's maybe less important to have uh, you know a true number ten um, in the middle, uh, you know, kind of patrolling that role. So I, I think it can be a long term solution for the Revolution to have him out there. Um, and when Christian Pena is playing as well as he played today too, um, it's fine to have Christian Pena on the left. And it, it, you know, it, it's almost uh, better to have that kind of hole at number 10 where Gustavo Bo can, can roam into and, and make those runs as kind of a withdrawn forward filling that space. 
Um, so yeah, I think Arena probably has found the, the long-term solution for, for where to play Carly's heel. Um, and it, it seems to be working for the most part. Uh, Nathan Strout on Twitter asked us, if Bruce pulls the revs deep in the playoffs, should he win Coach of the Year? Uh, yes, but I think Coach of the Year is decided based on the, the regular season, unless I'm, I'm mistaken there. I believe you're right. I believe – I don't know if the voting takes place um, I think, at the I end think, of the regular season. Yeah, I think the I voting like takes place at the end of the regular season. I feel like that's how they typically do these things. Yeah. Yes. Well, I was going to say even still, I don't know if Bob, Bob Bradley, I would imagine, is going to win Coach of the Year. I know that he has a ton of weapons at his disposal, but LAFC is uh, – having a bit of a crazy season out there. And I, I think he will probably get a lot of votes, even if Bruce arena takes them, let's say to the conference finals, you have to imagine LAFC is also going to make it to the conference finals. And I, I, I think that the total resume is going to go um, a little bit further in voters minds than a, a guy that kind of took over mid season. The other thing too, is that it's not like the revs built their way back up. Uh, you know, they, they kind of you know, limped into the playoffs. Um, as I say, their results have been good enough and they've kind of fallen off a little bit. So while what Bruce arena done ha- has done has been amazing. Um, I, I think that voters would still give Bob Bradley a, a look. And I, I think guys like Jim Curtin too, are, are going to get, you know, a, a lot of uh, votes coming their way for exceeding expectations over the whole course of the season. So um, I, I think there are a few other options that I think voters are going to pick over Bruce Arena. Well, and, and two, the, the San Jose Earthquakes finished 12th in the West last year and didn't really invest that much new into their roster. Um, the Revolution went out and signed the two best players on the team in, in Heal and Bo, who we just talked about, um, where San Jose really didn't do that much to, to improve their team comparatively, at least not spending-wise. So, you know, Mateus Almeida, if he gets them into the playoffs, I think he got, deserves a shout, too, if you're trying to, if you're looking past, you know, Bob Bradley. Yeah, which I don't think a lot of people will do either. I, I think Bob Bradley, it's as, you can write it in uh, write, write it in pen right now that Bob Bradley is going to win Coach of the Year. I, I don't think there's much question about it. So, um, Revolution Report on Twitter asks us, what should the strategy be going into the last game of the season? Uh, Sean, do you rest players? Do you kind of run out that Portland B team? Uh, what do you think the Revolution do going into next week at Atlanta? So I, I'm a big believer that having more than two weeks off is bad for a team. Um, and there is a bye week between the end of the season and the start of the playoffs. So I don't think the Revolution need to rest people going into Atlanta. They're going to have a week of rest going into the Atlanta game. And then there's going to be a week off, unless I'm mistaken, between that game and the start of the playoffs. Um, so to me, the Revolution going to that game, and even Bruce Arena, I think, after the game, talked about how that game would be great practice for the playoffs. You know, whether the Revolution faced Atlanta in the first round or Philadelphia in the first round, uh, going into Atlanta and a game like that, that will have implications for Atlanta because Atlanta right now is tied on points with Philadelphia um, for the second seed. So there, there will be implications for Atlanta whether they finish second or third, and that's pretty important to them because that decides who hosts the next round if they both advance um so that game will be playoff atmosphere it'll be a very raucous crowd in atlanta um great opportunity for the revolution to get some experience going into the playoffs and you know if you go into atlanta and beat them once uh and kind of figure out a strategy to do so you know maybe that's a good thing going and again you gain that confidence maybe it's a bad thing because atlanta you know, sees what you did um but to me it's it's all about momentum at this point um and if the revolution lose that atlanta game and then have you know another week off and the revolution play their beat team against Atlanta and their starters kind of are off for three weeks I don't think that's a good thing I think the revolution need to find a way to you know to keep up the the momentum that they built with that comeback to get Portland and with that win over New York City FC um, so if, if, if I'm the coach I'm playing my starters in that game and giving them every opportunity to to keep building momentum and, and get experience playing in what could be a playoff like atmosphere in Atlanta yeah I agree a hundred percent and I think the time off factor is something that you highlighted very well that that should go into this decision i think a lot of people will say well it's a meaningless game go ahead and rest your starters you don't want to risk injury uh but i think there the rust factor is a, a you know certainly a big concern uh, i do think that maybe you give carlay's heel and gustavo bow 60 minutes or 65 minutes maybe you don't run them out for a full 90 minutes um but yeah for the most part i, I think you treat this game uh as another game uh you want to go out and you know, as I say, yeah, get some intel on Atlanta and see what works and what doesn't. Uh, maybe you can get a little creative and take some more risks uh, that you normally wouldn't do in a, say, playoff game against Atlanta. But uh, for the most part, I think you got to play it straight up and see how your team lines up against Atlanta because you are probably going to face this team in the playoffs, whether or not it's the first or second round if you make it there. So it's good to kind of know what you're up against going in there because uh, the only other matchup against Atlanta this season was really early. Uh, and Boy, that was the Brad Friedel days, I believe. Um, so 
I mean, that was so long ago. I don't think you can really take any information from that game and apply it to a playoff game. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there, Sean. Uh, we did get one more question uh, from Michael A. on Discord wall. Uh, you were answering that question, Sean. Uh, should we keep playing Zahibo next season? I think he's been really good the last two to three games. Uh, we are... I think we've turned into Zebo fans over the last month or two. He's played really well since Bruce Arena came on. Um, he's played really strong in the defensive midfield. And, um, you know, I think he was a pretty big disappointment for the first year he was here last season. Um, I would say the first few months he seemed a little more of the same. He didn't really seem to be a signing that was paying off. Uh, and he's really come together in the last few months and has uh, really paired well with Luis Caicedo in that defensive midfield. So, uh, Sean, what are your thoughts about retaining Zahibo and keeping him in the starting lineup? Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest complaint about Zahibo among, I mean, among a few complaints about him is that he never really used his you know, size and, and theory, his physicality, um, and the way you'd expect a guy built like he is to, to do so. And I think Bruce Arena's found a way to, to get him to, to use that more. And he's played a lot better under Bruce Arena. There's always that part of me that remembers how poor he was at times under Brad Friedel and, and isn't sure, um, given what's the salary, $500,000 or, or something like that. He's pretty highly paid and he's a, you know international player taking up an international roster spot um, that you know, maybe the revolution should go in a different direction. But the, the way he's playing right now, I think he's kind of earned another year with the Revs. Um, so if I was making that decision, I, I think I would bring him back for another season um, with, the, with the caveat that I'm still not 100% convinced that he is the answer to the revolution, just given how, how poor he was at times under Brad Friedel. Yeah, we don't know his contract situation either. Um, I know some international signings have two-year contracts, um, one of them being Gabriel Somi, who was signed around the same time as Wilfred Zahibo. So maybe this is a contract year for Zahibo, we don't know. Uh, but I would imagine if he has a team option, uh, I, I, I would imagine that the Revolution retain him, uh, even though he's got a bit of a high salary. I think he's around 400000 or something like that. Uh, I, I think he's been a solid contributor, and I think they'll want to carry him into next season uh, overall. A lot of people felt defensive midfield was an area that could use upgrading, but um, I, I think the last few weeks have kind of changed that, at least in my mind. So, uh, Sean, that uh, wraps up listener questions. Do you have any closing thoughts or shout-outs you want for this week? No, it's just um, nice to actually be covering a team that's, that's headed into the playoffs. It's been a while since we've had playoff soccer to talk about with the Revolution. So whether it's Philadelphia or Atlanta, I'm excited to see the Revolution playing a, a, a one-off uh, knockout stage round game in, in the playoffs this year. Yeah, and, and just kind of to add on to that, I think that they are, I mean, we talk about how tough this road is going to be for the 2019 playoffs, but you know, from what the Revs have shown us under Bruce Arena, they only have two losses, and one was from New York City FC uh, when they were down a man at Yankee Stadium, and one was to um, LAFC, who just flat out outmatched them. Uh, this is a team that kind of plays up to the level of their opponents and really gives everyone a difficult time. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm really excited about this team beyond the playoffs going into 2020. I, I think that if they can add another designated player in the offseason and add some pieces that I'm sure Bruce Arena has a shopping list and is looking to uh, add some players that he's a little more familiar with, uh, add a left back, add maybe another attacking option up top, uh, maybe add a center back and, and push Farrell out to right back or add a right back. Um, I, I, I think with a few more pieces with this guidance, it's a very exciting team going into next season. Uh, but uh, as I say, as you, or as you said, uh, it's exciting that we're talking about the playoffs. It's incredible they've gotten here after that incredibly horrendous start uh, at the beginning of the season. Um, I, I'm very shocked. Uh, if you told me back in mid-May when they fired Bradfield, this team was going to be in the playoffs, uh, I would tell you it was crazy. So uh, a bit of a tough road, but uh, they're certainly uh, blessed to be there, all things considered. So uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and also like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, also, if you could, please leave, us a review, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening. The Revs wrap up the regular season next week in the Deep South as they take on Atlanta United. Both teams are in the playoffs, as we had mentioned earlier, but this match will have some significance for playoff positioning with the Revs potentially sneaking up into that sixth seed, as we said. Uh, we're not sure if we're going to do a podcast next week, but either way, thank you all for listening and go Revs.